Namaste and welcome to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. I am Yael Teagle. And I'm Felicia Michelle. And today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 10, The Unwellness Job. Listen, we want to talk about our zen. We're going to get very zen with these interviews, with the games that we're going to be playing. And also we have the predictions and questions from you, the fans. Yeah, so we're about to get buzzing over in the studio. So join us there. And then, of course, stay for the games and the exclusives. Oh my goodness. We have so much to talk about. Let's jump into this episode. What did you think of this episode, Felicia? You know I hate influencers, right? Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, like I kind of despise the facade of perfection because it doesn't exist. And people literally are dying in real life. And some people almost died on the show because of it. Yeah. What do you what about you? What do you think of it? I really like this episode because it touches upon a lot of modern problems, right? Like we have the influencer, um, we have our entire wellness organization, uh, we have also this Bitcoin thing, um, we have data and privacy issues. Like all of these issues are addressed in this episode. So I really enjoyed that because that's the world we're in right now. No, seriously though. And a little improvising from some people um, on the team without permission or (laughs) heads up. Yeah. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of improvising. Um, I really enjoyed how we set up this episode, how we we started with this issue of um, medication versus uh, supplements. Holistic wellness of sorts. Because I don't think people understand or or really realize that these these are not regulated the same way. Unresponsive. Julie. It's important to trust this ancient wisdom. To trust yourself and to trust me. The interesting thing about it is, again, that's why I said sometimes I don't, I don't want to say I hate influencers. I should probably take that back. I don't really hate anybody. But I don't like the influencer culture because no one has a follow-up question for these people. It's just like you said it and that is so. And it's messed up because there are some people who do practice holistic medicine that actually are helping people but we're seeing that it, this is just all greed driven you know like those little like oh eat these vitamins your hair's gonna grow really long like no her hair's long because she hasn't clipping extensions like it's not long because yes. she ate these nasty vitamins you know <laughs> <laughs> the bee sting is nature's vaccine. I think you're totally right. And it's really interesting because Harry says something very similar. Um, He says, should we even be going after, you know, this character, this episode, uh, Bronwyn Lark, who was an actor turns influencer (laughs) turned wellness maven. Um, And Harry says, should we do this? Can I just ask the question, should we even be doing this? I mean, we have a whole stack of other cases. Because people are feeding into it. And I really appreciate one, that he questioned it, and two, the explanation from uh, Sophie as to why we are going after this woman. I really loved this. Um, Sophie, dis- I think if Sophie despised uh, her way more than I ever could or anyone could, she just went, it was, it. this was personal mm-hmm. for Sophie. This was, I, this was way more personal probably than any of the first eight or any of the, like, this was very personal. Like, no, I don't like you. I don't like that girl. Yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I I loved that it was personal and I loved, uh, you know, we'll get to it. But at the end, the twist when Sophie was like, you, you are bad at this to the girl. Like when she pointed out to her, 
We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk about the bees real quick and Elliot's character undercover with the bees. His hand in there and said, shake on it. I was like... And when she did it, I said, oh, she'll do anything. And it talks a lot, you know, again, with the algorithm of things, mm-hmm. how algorithms work and how you can, you know, essentially break an algorithm if you know what to do. Yeah. We have this whole explanation about the rabbit hole and this idea that, you know, Bronwyn was targeting people who were in pain, people with illness, people who had no hope, who needed help. She found these keywords and targeted them with this rabbit hole. And then luckily our team used the concept of a rabbit hole uh, to our advantage and and changed the game on our on our bad guys. I really enjoyed that entire moment. It was good. But it's funny because like she talks about these levels and these tiers of being able to get close to her. And Mm -hmm. it's the scene like kind of where she's doing her yoga and it made me laugh and she's doing whatever she's in front of there doing, being cute and not really sweating. Um, (laughs) Right, right. Sitting there and being like, you do yoga. And she's like, oh, I had a question for you about this thing. Oh, no, no. The questions are for if you have you have silver, like you're not gold to like move along. And it's comical, but it's factual. Like it happens. Like, yeah. It's you know what's amazing is this this character of Bronwyn. Her whole setup was a, a weird mishmash of other people in the real world. Um, I would say an actress who turned into a uh, wellness maven. I definitely could think of one, and maybe a, a cult of sorts um, that has different colored levels. Like there are different. Th- terrible people in our world it sounded a little culty as you're um saying it just sorry it sounds a little culty as you're saying it but again it's just terrible because you're uh specifically targeting people and women and other women i think maybe that's for sophie Mm. whether because sophie she's she's a girl's girl like she's you know she's a very confident woman and confident women usually can engage with become friends with other women quite easily and they don't want to you just you're picking at someone's wound. You're mm. picking at an open wound on purpose. Yeah, Sophie says, "I targeted the powerful and trapped them with their desires. She targets the powerless and she traps them with their pain." It really is despicable and and I appreciate her pointing out to Harry the difference between what our team does and what this woman does because it seems that it was unclear to him what the difference was. He's still learning yes. um and growing in his road to redemption and Mm -hmm. he's gonna have questions and that's good because we want characters who have questions and don't necessarily just get it because like well what's the difference you know these people signed up for why should we feel bad for them you know what what makes them worth all this effort to try to um gain revenge or leverage against this person and then you find out oh it's way bigger than her it's way bigger than her yeah because she's making (laughs) this deal with chad deal um and he is this bitcoin guy it's a whole creeptastic yeah he is a whole other thing i the scene where he uh says to her like i want you know i care about your users and she's like i care about my users like no no i don't care i want their data and she goes right i don't care about them either i was like this is her this is the truest version of Bronwyn we've seen is when she's going, no, no, I don't actually care. I want we're doing money deals here. You know, it's crazy because like we talked about this a little bit. It's so clear that we hate her. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, her her business. I don't know if it's I don't want to say her business partner because she wasn't really treated much like a partner. She's kind of yeah. treated like a laggy. And uh, and she's the one who has the education mm-hmm. and the credentials to be able to pick products and and actually know what she's talking about. Yeah. Melanie is her number two. And it reminded me so much of the relationship. She between... treats Melanie like a number two. Yeah. She does, um, but it reminded me of the relationship between Cordozar and Carter from the card game job. Yes. It's that same dynamic. Of I'm just, of I got in with this person mm-hmm. when I thought that there was a good thing that we can do. Yeah. And somehow their greed has steered it in a different direction. Because, you know, Melanie says, in the beginning, it wasn't like this. In the beginning, you know, we I, I wanted to help people. This is for helping people. But, you know, Bronwyn said that we had to do this. And she said that we had to do that. And I'm just like, why are you listening to her? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I do like... When we have the scene where Bronwyn is doing the live stream, her pivot, look, that is I literally skills. wrote all capitals, professional, because that, yes, because I'm watching, I'm like, and just knowing, like, talking in front of a camera and knowing how you have to, like, make pivots sometimes right. and you have to just kind of move with what's happening. You're like, mm, girl is good. Like, I kind of was impressed a little bit. It's, I was like. Personally, it was the most relatable moment of the episode was her being able to, like, see a crisis and think on her feet and just go for it because you're live streaming what are you gonna do and the team was even like how did how she's so good at being manipulative Mm -hmm. that it's just on a whole different level yeah and there's all those bees though the bees i want to say i feel bad for the bees like in in our real world you know bees are like in trouble (laughs) you know we need bees and it's just like you don't even care about the bees. Ooh, that one would have stung, huh? Melanie's like, hey, be careful with the bees. Like, you know, do should we have all these bees in <laughs> right. here? <laughs> um, I I can't not bring it up, so we have to. Uh, <laughs> the jade device. I can't not. It was there. We have to. Um, again, the writers of this show are hilarious. They know what they're and talking about. While I yes, and why and I love it because it means like you can watch with your kids because they hide it in there so well that you have to like kind of give like the little side eye, like the little giggle, right. like if you know, you know type of thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I also think that it was wonderful that it was used as a weapon. Um, I think it was really beautiful that Ellie got to use it as a weapon, and I like when he gives it back to her and he goes, "What the hell is this?" Oh, <clears throat> Elliot, you probably don't really want to know. Yeah. Um, Any final thoughts on this episode? A little more on Chad. Um, What an idiot. What an actual idiot. Like, you're smart, but you're dumb. Like, like people can have, like, book smarts, but they have no common sense at all. And Sophie just was like, you have no sense. When she put her phone, she's like, it's going to demagnetize and your whole thing's going to be like, how did they steal all of my money? How did that happen? Like, you know, you got what you deserve. But that's not to discourage anybody from, um, you know, cryptocurrency or, like, any blockchaining, (laughs) any of that kind of thing. Um, But I wouldn't put... $40 $40 million in my safe and then show everybody. Right. I, I think that whole scene, the improvisation of Harry and Sophie, the communication that they had, this really like showed his evolution, his growth. You know, we talked about it in the first half where Harry picks up small skills and then we literally see them happen. And I feel like after our last episode where we were like, <laughs> get better at this, we see him get better at it. 
Yeah, well, he's kind of a little more comfortable in the role yeah. of playing, you know, like an attorney representative. Like, right. that's his thing. That's that his is sh- his thing. And that's okay if that's your shtick. It's okay to be typecast. Right. As long as you have a job. Yeah, and he, he has the pen and he's ready to use it as a as a dead man switch. It was just so clever the way that they work together. I loved it. Definitely. And when the bad guy gets what they deserve, her being stuck at that grocery, uh, a convenience store, gas station, whatever. And they're like, you look like that actress. You look like somebody. No, she's she's cuter. Like, that's not you. That's, yeah. that's a misery because all you wanted was fame. And now all you get to be is nobody. Yeah. Um, well, we have some people coming up that we're going to talk to in just a bit about this episode. So stick around. We'll be back. Well, it's time to get our chakras in line with the director of this episode and play also plays Harry Wilson, Mr. Noah Wiley. I want to know about directing bees. <laughs> they were really easy to direct since no, they weren't there. They weren't there. <laughs> no, those were CGBs. Uh, <laughs> not to be confused with CGB, CBGBs. Uh, yeah, those were... We were going to add those later. It was just easiest not to incorporate them into the shooting and try to get around it. Even the one that supposedly that lands on Christian's hand in a close-up, that was just a dot on his hand that we added the bee afterwards. So you can thank some very talented visual effects people for uh, the bee's performance. Wow. You couldn't tell. I definitely thought at least some of the bees were real. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Magic. Um, Well, let's talk about the things that were real in this episode. Um, We know that you are a a experienced director. You directed in the first half. Um, At this point, directing this episode, what had you learned or or what was new to you? This one was... uh... You know, it's funny when you get three opportunities to direct in a season, you get to really watch your own maturation and comfort level grow. And I noticed that the first one I did, which was the tower job, you know, I was very tight reined. I had a very clear plan of what I wanted it to be. And it was very stylized, the transitions. And uh, I thought it worked pretty well. The second one I directed was the golf job. And the last one I directed was uh, the wellness job. They're showing them out of order. And by the time we did the wellness job, I was going to work with a plan, but perfectly willing to throw the plan out the window and see what the actors were going to do. And I was really relaxed and had a really good rapport with the crew at that point and the cast. So that, in some ways, was my favorite one because I felt that I was most at ease and working on instinct, but also off of a off of a good preparation. Um, but it was it was that's what I liked about it. it was it just was my freest that I've ever felt directing. That's very interesting. You said that you felt the freest with relinquishing some control. Um, it seems like every time we talk to someone, cast, writer, showrunner, whatever, it's always this is a very collaborative environment and very um, artistically free. You know, you can see what works and what doesn't work. And it seems like you guys have a good time doing that. I think that's exactly what I, I came in with a plan <laughs> in the first episode because I wanted to impress everybody and I wanted to sort of get the ball rolling. And then I watched how excellent everybody was at their job and what they bring to the table. And then you become more of a, of a conductor, like, oh, I like that. Give me a little bit more of that or a little less of that. Let's bring in some of that now. And you start, it's not improvisation, but it's, um, it's closer to it. Yeah, what are some of the challenges of directing and being in the episodes? You know, I haven't really directed anything that I haven't been in, so I have a very skewed perspective on that. Um, I find it in some ways a comfort to be in the scene because I at least know energetically what I need to do in the scene to move 
the the information around, and I kind of feel like okay, I've got my quadrants locked down. I can fo- focus on everybody else. Um, but there are many many days where I feel kind of a sense of. Uh, like uh, discomfort walking to my mark as opposed to walking <laughs> to the chair. I like walking to the chair. Oh, interesting. And I would very much like to do a job where I only walk to the chair one day so I didn't have that sense of schizophrenia. But I am used to it. <laughs> yeah, but this episode specifically has like a very uh, intricate scene with Harry and Sophie, you know, convincing um, Chad Deal that they have a bomb <laughs> and all of this. Uh, what was it like having to be in that and also having to, like, make sure... Was everybody, you know, everybody had everything down, or, or were you... Yeah, those were, you know, he was wonderful, that actor. And, you know, he came in basically to shoot his entire part out in two days. And we only had that location for two days. And we had a terrible rainstorm one of those two days, and we lost power for, like, six hours. So suddenly the amount of time we had to shoot this two days where the work became very condensed. And it was... You know, I was just, my focus was laser-like because we had no room for error. So I just remember thinking, like, in terms of my performance, I'm going to commit to every choice I'm making (laughs) so thoroughly. If I'm holding the bomb, oh, I'm holding that bomb. (laughs) So that uh, I knew when I got in the editing room, I'd be able to go like, okay, well, that's a good look. You know, the the performance is there. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. <laughs> there were so many other logistical things going on those days that I, the acting part of it was the least of my worries. That's interesting. It's like you have to have like a dual mind. I say sometimes like in our industry, because sometimes you might be doing something and someone's talking in your ear and you have to talk out loud and you have to like split your brain almost. I think I've been blessed or cursed with uh, a sort of director's eye is everything I've ever done I've been able to see how my part fits into the overall and almost play my part in anticipation of it being fit into this larger piece of the pie and so when directing is really just sort of an extension of that and I used to sort of align watch what everybody was doing and seeing how they were doing it so that's my sense of storytelling is is to um I don't know how to describe it I just it, it comes more naturally to me than I thought it would when I tried it so the unwellness job has a lot to do with uh, wellness items and, and products and things. Are you a big, you know, lotions guy? Are you into <laughs> self-care and wellness? Uh, my wife uh, tries just about everything that's on the market. So this is a world that I'm very familiar with. And it was ripe for lampooning in some ways. And it was a good it was a good episode to sort of deconstruct because this stuff is so out there and it's always promoted as being, you know, the new panacea to all your problems. And people get promoted to sort of guru level and status where their influence is really almost uh, unhealthy. The way people look at them without any medical training, without any background in science as somebody who's prescribing things for their wellness. So it's I like thought this was hypnosis kind of thing. Like you want to be beautiful and like me and uh, whatever things that you feel like, whatever in, in internal desires you feel like and it's so funny because the last time we spoke you said something you know we talked about confirmation bias and that's essentially what this woman did she had a not so successful or mediocre successful career as an actress and just said oh now I'm this thing and everyone was just like okay I believe it and people were so just not even questioning like how do you know any of this like how besides being like you look healthy and you you look beautiful but what else is behind that? So that confirmation bias was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There were some uh, interesting products uh, <laughs> that she 
that she was selling. I'm asking about it. Uh, the the jade. Yeah. W- what was that decision like as well, a director? It's one of those certain things boil down to just taste at a certain point. You know, it was in the script, and it was one of those things that is a visual gag more than it is a you know a verbal gag. And there were just a lot of ways to to execute that particular joke, and they're all fairly tasteless. And so I, <laughs> and yet they didn't want to cut the bit. And so it was really, how do I do this in a way that is the least offensive, but conveys at the same time to the audience that would understand the joke what the joke is. But if you don't understand the joke and you're watching this show with your kids and they say, what are you talking about? You'll be able to say, oh, it's, you know, it's a golf club or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, so when we staged it, I just kept thinking, I can't be in the room. I can't, I got to be out of the room. So I just, we ended up doing it. I thought pretty well where we're in Parker's perspective behind the glass, but we don't hear the dialogue. We just see this visual and we're going to take it that the audience that has the dirtiest imaginations are going to laugh the hardest. So the audience essentially wrote that little bit. You they put did. in whatever you feel like. I put the breadcrumbs out there, and <laughs> whoever wants to follow the trail got to follow it. Yeah. Great. I'm glad I asked. That's a uh, You know, it's one of the tone is such a specific thing. You know, if you have a joke that's a little too tasteless, it suddenly doesn't seem like leverage. Or if you have, you know, an action scene that seems a little bit, you know, that gets too bloody, or you know, jokes that are too. Qu- it has to play within a bandwidth of not necessarily believable, but not totally unbelievable either in its own universe. And that was just one of those moments where you're just trying to calibrate it to keep in tone with the way the show flows, so it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. One of my favorite moments in this episode is when Elliot Spencer is in character and he shakes to agree um, with Broadway. Was that Christian doing that? Did you tell him to stick his hand in that honey? Because that's just like that's the most disgusting thing I think of, like just <laughs> shaking someone's hand. And it's just covered in honey. Well, again, we were in that location <laughs> for a brief period of time and we had bad weather issues. So we couldn't be out there very long. And immediately in the very first production meeting, it was brought up that if we use real honey, we're going to be taking forever to clean everybody up in between mm. takes. And so everybody thought, well, what can we use that's easy to clean that looks like honey? And I think it was me. I think I'll take credit for this one. I said, what about Johnson's baby shampoo? And so that's what that is. That's a big oh, vat with, of Johnson's with baby like shampoo. Some, okay, wow. So and it has the color, too. Just, and it was really easy to wash off in between takes. The golden nectar of eternal life. Wow, look at that. (laughs) But that's still a nasty handshake. I really like that sequence. I thought I I like the staging of that whole scene out there. I thought everybody played it really well, and it was a really. We made a good location out of basically a corner of a golf course that we weren't using. And sometimes you pat yourself on the back for knowing how far you moved the needle in a way that the audience will never know. And that was one of those days. Um, Also, too, in that same scene, it's finally like we see kind of recurring throughout this um, second half is that. There is, or we've seen it in the first half too. There's um, a villain, and then a person who's like villain adjacent. And you know, Melanie is this this doctor. She actually has the brains, the qualifications, credentials to find products that are good for people medical wise. Even though Brahman is the face of all of this and really the tormentor of all these people. Sometimes these storylines are in there to both entertain, but also to be more revelatory about an aspect of one of your regulars that you want to bring out. And I thought that was exactly what that the character that. Um 
uh, Ashley is the actress's name who played it. I forget the character's name. Brings out in Brianna is that she sees that while we're taking on bad guys, there's degrees of evil, and then there's evil that's been more sort of manipulated into doing something and doesn't know how, you know, isn't there a grace period or isn't there a special dispensation for the people that are just sort of unwitting accomplices or sometimes witting but unwilling or uh, that have regret? And I thought that was a, a good reveal of her character's humanity, the way that she's trying and trying and trying to sort of get through and get across uh, with her to warn her. And then she feels a sense of disappointment and then comes around and... Um, she sort of made the piece happen. Yeah, it's very cool. And we see also that Harry has the the discussion with Sophie early on about if this person is, re- if Bronwyn is really evil or if people are, you know, doing it to it's, themselves. They brought it on themselves. Type yeah. Of thing, yeah. There was a scene, there's a scene in the show between Brianna and Sophie that's really lovely where they, it's the first time they do the handshake scene. Uh and I'm in that scene, but I cut myself completely out of that scene. It's, it was fascinating how easy it was to remove Harry from an entire scene and make a three-character scene into a two-character scene, but it works much better as the two-character scene. Oh, wow. It's weird to talk about the episodes I directed because you guys are talking story, and all I think about them is the technical, how we chopped it up and how we shot it. It's much more of a logistical thing for me than a and narrative the, thing. The reasoning to, to cut Harry out of that? I needed... I wanted the relationship between the two women to go on an arc that had nothing to do with anybody else in the room. And when Harry's in the room, there's a sort of performative aspect to everybody's conversation that isn't as intimate as if it's just two people that are trying to connect but come from very different backgrounds and haven't really connected yet. You know, it started off where Brianna had to prove herself to Sophie. Sophie was kind of a hard ass about having to earn her keep. And then she did earn her keep. And then where do we go? Like, how do we find friendship or how do we find commonality or how do we find a common sense of humor was sort of the questions that we were playing with. And I love the way that Brianna sort of throws Sophie off a little bit. She's not like anybody Sophie's ever encountered before. And it's a different generation. It's a different mindset. It's a different energy. And it brings out an interesting side of Sophie. It's time to play our favorite game, B-I-N-G. Um, right, y'all? Yeah. Okay. Season 1, Episode 10, The Unwellness Job. On the bingo card, this time we're just having Let's Go Steal Her Fame. Strike a pose, a warrior pose, because we are talking to Christian Kane. One of uh, my favorite scenes um, in in our in our last eight is um, the scene where you play the beekeeper mm. and you stick your hand in all of that hunt that honey and then shake um, Bronwyn's hand and it's just hilarious. I'm like, he had to have so much fun that day, like being this character in, in this part of the con because it just seemed like he was really eccentric and super fun. Oh, I'm so play. glad you said that because I struggled so bad. I struggled so bad. I, I had another character that I was going to play, and I showed up that morning, and I talked to Noah, and I said, Noah directed that, and I said, uh, I'm going to do something else. And I said, he's a friend of ours, and as soon as you, uh, <laughs> as soon as you know who it is, you got to let me know if you got it. And then halfway through, I said, did you pick it out? And he goes, no, I didn't even, oh my God, you're playing. And I said, yeah, that's right. And I don't want to yeah, say because it's no. an actual person. It's <laughs> yeah. not like, well, so, yeah. I mean, he was just very like smart and, and just super to himself and just, you know, in line with the bees and, you I'm know, so, buzzing on their I, vibe. I thought I tanked it on that one, to be no. honest with you. I went home that day going, why did I do that? Sometimes you go outside and you try to do something. So this means the world to me that you're saying that. That's fantastic. No, yeah. I, I loved it. Damn it, Doris. The bees. 
are sleeping. I mean, even though I found out it was baby shampoo and not honey. Yeah. Um, cause it Thank was God, because I thought I was I was going to be there all day, man. That stuff I just washes right off. Yeah. <laughs> Kudos to an amazing crew and people there yeah. that can figure out easy solutions to keep it going. Noah said he does not play on set. It is move, move, move. We're going well, he didn't have a choice. We were running out of light that day, and we didn't have that location again. So he was like, he was like, well, what do we do? He was like, and then he's so good at thinking on his feet. He just came up with like two shots and, and, and took away the, the, the three of them. That would have been very fun aesthetically but didn't need him and yeah. it, it became more serious now i think that he stayed there and really concentrated on what was going on that was a lot of fun yeah it was a fun it was a fun episode i don't know how the b fight turned it was out, but. it was you also picking up the jade um oh god stuff. man stop <laughs> Because nobody, because we it. on the day it was just like this rubber, uh, this rub, this like fighting stick type thing that okay. we had, and so finally, you know, they're like, "All right, you guys ready?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just kidding. All right, let's try a take." And she came out with that, and I was like, "Are you freaking kidding me, man?" So that kind of was a real look that I gave her, at the, <laughs> and, and I, that was an ad lib too, because I was just like, "I go, I gotta adjust, I gotta address this," you know. I'm like, "Yeah, this, what the hell is this?" <laughs> so I just had to throw that in there, and Noah liked it. And then uh, during the fight scene, I was like, "I was like, no, you can't give me a gong." And not have me go into it because it was just sitting in the corner. So right. I had the guys move it out, and I go, I'm flying into it because I go, it's comedy. And I go, it's got to hit me twice. And he was, like, perfect. And we uh, he let me film that, which I thought was great. Um, Noah really trusts me with, with the fight scenes. You know, as long as I don't get too too out there about what I'm doing and take up too much time, which I have been known to do. But I'm good at cutting <laughs> stuff down. But he's always really kind of trusted me on that. Even back on the librarians, he was a he – I think he, I don't want to say a fan, but he, he just trusted me to get to get the job done and, and make it look uh, either funny or brutal, whichever one we needed. Or a little of both. We got things like that in this way. Yeah. yeah, that's the beauty of, uh, well, see, that's the beauty of leverage is that it, it, there's times when it can just be comedy. And then there's times like when I'm drugged with the, with the. Uh, Red haze. Yeah. That, you know, it's time to, it's time, it's go time. So that was fun. Yeah. It's time to center ourselves and focus on all the things that we missed this episode. Here is Kate's Easter Egg Corner. In this episode, um, the bees were all CGI. The honey that they dipped their hands into is actually baby shampoo. And uh, the name Bronwyn and her winners, I have to credit to Jill Weinberger, one of our writers, who is uncannily good at coming up with names for things. Oh, MNMG, we are talking to Elise Shannon. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Leverage Redemption universe. Absolutely. Brand new character. Yes, that is mine. Brianna's in the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have been waiting to talk to you all season long. We're oh, so excited to have you. Constantly, we hear from every single cast, crew, that this is a very... Why am I turning into Macy Gray? This is a very... <laughs> Try to walk away and I stumble. I was okay. about to stumble with my words, but here we go. Um, it's a It's a very collaborative set and, and, that, and that energy. Is that something that you haven't experienced often or is this just very unique to this experience for you um well nothing no i nothing's like this experience because i mean i was told from day one i was they were like this is a a family like Mm -hmm. we're all excited to have you and not only did they say that when i showed up 
they were all excited to have <laughs> me. You know what I mean? And um, I was excited to meet all of them. Like, I was literally shaking the first time Dean took me in. He was like, watch a scene. And I was like, ah, okay, I'm watching. They're so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, other production. I mean, I-, I think it's just time. Like, maybe not consideration. I never want to say that anybody doesn't go into anything trying to be considerate. I'm sure they do. But just the time like they make time for you to figure it out and I mean Christian made we didn't have a lot of scenes together so there would become a day where we have a scene together and we haven't even thought about the fact that we don't have a big huge rapport quite yet so there's just time to talk about it and figure figure it out and sometimes there's not time and they're like we trust you just go you know (laughs) what I mean um but you know Beth made time all the time to ask when she was directing like what where like where are we going with this Noah I mean you could throw anything to that man in a scene and he's just like patink patonk patink <laughs> I mean he's fantastic and Gina definitely helped cultivate my onset life and my character and, and yeah it was fantastic it's just so open and funny my audition sides <sighs> I mean I get this like these two pages about bells like taking bells off of somebody and I'm like oh. <laughs> what like okay I'll do this my brother was like drilling a baby crib upstairs I was like could you stop I have to tape and his <laughs> wife is like pregnant like helping me like oh like yeah this is the bells <laughs> we have to teach you and I'm just getting so high strung and like anal I'm like I gotta get this tape done and it was just like this moment of the sides were so wide open they're a wide open field that you almost have to bring something to it otherwise they're not going to make sense and that's how the process went too it was like Brianna was just kind of anybody could be her and then come in and then they write towards me and best experience I mean best case scenario for any actor this show has um, comedy it has action yes it has so much heart it has accents and voices and (laughs) wild costuming Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your favorite part of all that? Oh, geez. I, yeah. You know, I want to say six days. Um, because, <laughs> yes. Because I imagine six days to be like, a. when I saw the scene, there was no words for me in that scene. And I went, nice. So I was like, I'm going to make it like, what doesn't speak? And to me, the things that don't speak... Um, are animals that I've, you know, that in my experience. So I was like, she's going to be a reptile. Like, she's literally going to be an iguana. Like, she is a snake. Like, she's just this chameleon that somebody has in this fish tank and that they're just, like, being like, here's my chameleon. Isn't it so cool? You know what I mean? And that's what Six Days was supposed to be. So I had fun with that and the the tattoos and the suit the ha- the and the Basquiat, style. the hairstyle, <laughs> right? Shout-outs to Dilly for the hairstyle and Yoli. Um, but... I want to say there was this one scene where me and Beth are... Am I spoiling anything? I don't know no. what, which episode it is or what order they come in. But there was this one scene where me and Beth are like, oh, paranormal activity job. And we're like looking through this burnt down place or whatever. And it was like the last sort of scene of the day. And I pull out this little shake and go wig from the hair truck. And I'm like, Dilly, what you think about this? <laughs> and I like pop it on my head. And she's like sis no and I was like sis I think it works and she was like sis let me coral your hair down real quick so that you don't look crazy in it so Dilly gave me like quick set it off yeah. braids you know what I mean yeah, and a then couple Allen Iversons. yes it, precisely and I show up and Beth is like 
what? <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, I'm Tina. I'm Tina Beth. And Beth's like, she's crazy. <laughs> but we're going to do it. And um, I think that was my favorite just because it came out of nonsense. It came out of putting my hands in drawers that they shouldn't have been in and walking to set that way. So. We are sitting down with co-creator and consulting producer Chris Downey. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, you're kind of responsible for all of this happening. Uh, well, that's quite an exaggeration. <laughs> it is very much a team effort, but I'm just but one small cog in a giant machine that makes <laughs> entertainment for you. But a very important one um, as co-creator of Leverage Redemption, like... So many people were waiting for this to come back. And so, like, there are a bunch of people out there who are, are clapping for you right now. They're very ecsta- ecstatic for what you have contributed um, so that their favorite show could come back. Yeah, well, you know, we, the creators and the people behind the scenes, are just as excited. We've been waiting, you know, eight years for this. So it's, you know, Dean Devlin said we're going we're gonna to bring the show back. And I, you never doubt Dean Devlin. So we <laughs> knew that some something, whether it was going to be a movie or you know, uh, some kind of version of the show. I don't think anyone could have anticipated that the revival would be uh, such a huge success. So we're just so grateful. We have two new characters that we see um, in this. You call it a revival. I call it a resurgence. I like that because I hate the word reboot so much. I don't like it. <laughs> I like um, And I, I like don't that. feel like this really fits into that because of the changes that we see with the new characters, Brianna and Noah. So talk to me a little bit about um, their character development and the choice to bring um, those two characters into the Leverage Redemption universe. It was just absolutely huge. Um, uh, let's see. In terms of uh, Noah's character, Harry, you know, a lot has been made about, like, if we were going to bring in someone, is it going to be a new mastermind? And I think the decision we made was specifically to go the uh, complete opposite way. Um, one of the joys of watching Leverage, I think, for people, like any show with a team, is is people imagining themselves as part of the team. And so I think what was wonderful about Harry's character is he's the audience proxy. He's the person who doesn't have any skills, who just wants to do the right thing. And I think it it really, like, connected people with him immediately as opposed to bringing someone in who had some specific skill set. And it also allowed Sophie to, you know, slide into the role as as a mastermind, which we all knew would, would work wonderfully. And just the fact that he's just a phenomenal actor who just, like, from the minute he hit the screen, felt like he was part of the cast, was was wonderful. Elise is, you know, is just a revelation. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, didn't really know what to expect. We're bringing her in as, you know, Hardison's foster sister. So, obviously, like, he has a, an emotional connection to her, so we knew that that would help the audience accept her. But she just brings this wonderful warmth and quirkiness to the part that, uh, you know, that's just not scripted. That was all her. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, she's really young. It's great to have someone in the cast who has that kind of Gen Z perspective. So it, it was just that both of them were wonderful additions. You know, some people really uh, find it relaxing to draw or paint or sketch. And we have seen some amazing art from the fans. So let's check that out. (laughs) 
The official Leverage Redemption After Show is part of the Electric Surge Network on Electric Now. We recommend checking out some of our other original content like Inglorious Trexperts, The 430 Movie, and Best Movies Never Made. Finally, a very special thank you to Bill Ritter, Patrick Meany, and everyone at Electric Surge Network, our producers, Natalie Michelli, and of course, Dean Devlin, without whom this show would not be possible. Thank you so much for joining us for another amazing episode of the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. We had a really great time talking to these guests and checking out some amazing things that you've sent in. Of course, you can always follow us at After Leverage on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to send to yourself, like, right in your seat and continue watching uh, because we have more episodes of our after show. Until next time, I'm Yael Teagle. I'm Felicia Michelle. And this has been a very very distinctive distinctive podcast. podcast.